And as you are turning there, please join me in a brief word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for, for being here. And Lord, it doesn't matter what we feel. There are some here today that might not feel your presence, that may not feel like you're here or you're not in their lives. But we know wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're in the midst. We know it. And we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by feelings. We know what your word says, and your word is truth. And I pray that you sanctify us in your truth. Thy word is truth, O God. So as the word goes forth, I pray, Lord, that it is received by humble hearts that are fertile for the planted word to bloom and bear fruit in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you know, we've been talking this month about being marked by Jesus. You know, God didn't just want you to be a believer. He called you to be a disciple of Jesus. Every one of us. The mission of the church is not just to fill up seats. It's not just to produce churchgoers. It's not just to produce believers, but disciples, those who, disciples. You got a fire alarm going on or something? But to be disciples and to make disciples. That's the call of God in our lives. And to that call, we've all, we've all been marked. With that call. Now, up until this time, we've talked about examples last week, over the last few weeks, of people that Jesus went to and said, Follow me. Today's story is a little bit different. Jesus doesn't tell the main character in our story today to follow me, but this man encounters Jesus in a way that transforms his life. And Jesus still has him marked for a mission. It may be different than the 12 who he called to follow him, but it's no less a mission from God and no less impactful. But let's first take a look. Now, I'm going to spend some time here uh, at least reading these verses, and I will highlight ones that I feel need to be highlighted, but let's start in the first verse. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, this may be a little soon to stop, but I, I want you, I want to connect some dots here. In the previous chapter, Jesus tells his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And they get into a boat and they start to sail to the other side, which they've just arrived to in verse 1. But while en route, a great storm occurs that causes them to fear for their lives. And Jesus quiets that storm. He says, peace, be still. And it 
It, it made the disciples marvel. What kind of man is this that, that even the wind, that even the storms obey him? So he said, go over to the other side, and we're, we're, we're enraptured. We are captivated by the storm and the fact that he demonstrated such power to command the storm. We lose sight of the fact that he said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's go encounter a storm. His, his motive the whole time was to get to the other side. And we're about to find out the reason why he said, let's go to the other side. There's a story more important here than the storm and him quieting it. Because there is a man in despair. There is a man in bondage. There is a man in torment over here on the other side. And, and, and when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, he had this man in mind. He knew he was over there. The disciples didn't, but Jesus knew. He knew what was wrong with him. He knew what was needed. And so they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived. Listen to what it says about this man. He lived among the tombs that had become his dwelling place. I've heard people say sometimes they feel dead inside. Life is bustling all around them, but it's almost as if they're sitting in a tomb, <laughs> that there is no life. He's living among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I'm not here to try to make anybody out to be mean people or bad guys or whatever. What we have here is a guy whose condition society is unprepared to deal with. And society tried to deal with him the only way society knows how to. We'll restrain him. Institutionalize him. We got to do something that allows him to be in society in a way that doesn't totally disrupt everyone's lives. If that's not possible, then we've got to whisk him away and lock him up somewhere because society can't handle someone of this. This is an extreme situation. And I can't blame people for doing all, only what they know to try and handle a situation, but that was not, everything that society could do, everything that the authorities could do was not going to address the real need in this man's life. You can shackle people, but if they're in bondage by the devil, their shackles aren't going to set them free. This man has superhuman strength. He just ripped shackles right off of him, broke the chains apart, 
And the sad thing, it says he's crying out day and night. He's just crying out. And I can only imagine what he must have been saying, but I, I would say the gist of his cries, the gist of his need was crying out for somebody who could do something that could set him free. And before Jesus, there was no one. Night and day, he's crying out and cutting himself with stones. He's in such torment. You know, people do that today. They're in such torment. They cut themselves, literally cut themselves. You know, wear long sleeves and stuff to cover up those things, but it's, it's in a weird way, it's, it's, it's a coping mechanism. It's something that they, 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 they do it instinctually. It, it, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's a out of control, extreme situation and there are, they lack the coping skills to be able to handle it. And so you do something. You'd rather I wonder if you'd rather feel the pain. You want to feel something. Something different than the torment that is plaguing your soul. And even if you're not cutting yourself with sharp objects and so forth, a lot of us, we cut ourselves with our words when we're in our secret places. Our self-talk is very cutting, biting, destructive. If that's you, Jesus has made an appointment with you too. He's coming to the other side for you too because that's not his perfect will for you. He, He wants you to be whole, free, well, he wants you to walk in a victory that he has died and rose again to give you. Amen? So I want to encourage you. If that's you, this is not anything to be in self-condemnation about. Don't be hopeless because there is hope for you. And the hope is in Christ. You may have tried other things to no avail. People have tried to help to no avail. But Jesus is more than enough. And it says here in verse 6, and when Jesus saw, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. I want you to, I've encountered this in my ministry life. Jesus came up onto the bank embankment, saw the man, and said, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And the voice is coming out of the man almost make it seem like he's afraid to be victimized by Jesus. But that ain't the man who's afraid to be victimized by Jesus. It's the spirits who have him in bondage. 
You know, that's why we got to be led by the Spirit. We got to be in tune with how the Spirit is ministering so because we got to be able to discern what we are being confronted by. And when the enemy has someone in bondage, the enemy will say whatever he needs to say to get you offended, to get you to turn away and leave that person isolated so there is no threat to the bondage. The enemy does not want to cede the territory that he has. So when we go in to minister to people, we need to be prepared to be unoffendable. Not to be quick to judge, but, but, but to contemplate, okay, Lord, prayer, always prayerful. Lord, what, what, what am I witnessing here? What is going on here? Uh, how are you working, and how can I partner with you in this? Not to presuppose what's going on or lean on our own understanding. But Jesus comes up, he knows the problem, says, come out, and uh, the spirits in this man tries to get him to go away because they don't want to be tormented. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now the picture is beginning to become clear. What's been driving this man this whole time? Why he's out of his mind? Why he's out of control? Why he has the, uh, the strength that he has and why he's been behaving the way that he has? Society, I don't know if they knew or not. All I know is society couldn't do anything about it. Jesus knew and he was the solution. And so he comes in with the authority that he has and says, come out. Now, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. You see, the authority of Jesus, the demons know they got to go. There is no, I have a right to be here. There is no, make me, right? <laughs> there is no argument. All there is is begging. We don't want to just be out and not inhabit anything. Send us into this herd of pigs. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I don't know the exact number of the legion that was in this man. But this man had enough demons inside him that once they were cast out, they were able to inhabit a herd of 2,000 pigs. It's amazing. This man was alive. The, 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 the depth of his bondage to Satan was just unimaginable. 2,000 pigs. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. <laughs> they, they got a man that's been demon-possessed in their 
They're afraid of the guy who set them free. Figure that one out. But they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Lord, let that not be us. You know, when the Lord moves in a demonstrably tangible and powerful way like that, I, I want us to, to hunger for that. I want us to want more of that. I want us to run toward that, not away from it. And here is, I read all of that because I felt like his backstory was important and we needed to know that Jesus, the entire time, before the storm ever hit, before he quieted the storm, when he said, let's go to the other side, he meant, let's go to the other side because I have an appointment with the guy over there that, that, that needs to be set free. He's dwelling in the tombs. And I'm going to set him free because I have I, I've marked him. I'm going to use him to great purpose. I'm going to use him. I'm going to transform his life and use him to transform others' lives. Like I said in the past uh, several weeks, we talked about individuals whom Jesus calls. Here in verses 18 to 20, we see Jesus didn't need to call this man. Jesus did a work in his life that no other man could do. This man wanted to follow Jesus. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, see, Jesus is getting back in the boat. He came over to do what he did, and having done what he did, he's getting into the boat to go back. And this man, who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. See, this man had nothing. Imagine this. There's no home to dwell in. Whatever he had, he lost because he's been in this state for so long. Society didn't want to have anything to do with him. There's no social clubs that he belongs to or anything. There's no one to go home to necessarily. People gave up on him. And yet, in that pit of despair, hope comes. Is there no reason? It should be no wonder that he was going to cling to that hope with all that is within him. He's like, man, this dude just freed me from my bondage. Wherever you, I don't know where you're going, but wherever it is, I want to go with you. But Jesus says something interesting to him. In verse 19, he did not permit the man to go with him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. 
So this demon-possessed man is now in his right mind because of Jesus. He hasn't gone to a seminary. He, you know, he, he hasn't, let's just say he hasn't made visits to the temple lately. He doesn't know the word of God like the back of his hand. He's not well trained in the scriptures, but he has a testimony. And he, I tell you, he has a testimony and he has a transformed life. And the power of that is what Jesus sent him back to where he was from to proclaim. See, yet again, just like with the disciples, these weren't learned men in Scripture. These people didn't, didn't learn under Pharisees and, so, and whatnot, yet they were called. They were called, they were discipled, they were qualified by Jesus. This man walked around full of demons. I don't know how he got there, but he wasn't just thrown into it. He had, it had to be a product of his own choices and his own decisions. And yet Jesus comes and meets him, sets him free, and gives him a ministry. Not somewhere else, but in his home, in his hometown. So, you don't have to minister on some foreign land. Hey, if that's God's calling your life, you do it. You obey God. And this man might have ultimately gone and done things on foreign lands. But right there in that moment, the call of God on his life was to stay where he's at. Stay where he was born. Stay where he grew up. Stay where he's friends. You got some friends that don't know the Lord. You've been transformed by the Lord. Take, let your life be a witness to them. that they might come to faith in the Lord themselves, right? There is a mission for you right where you're at, in your home, in your neighborhood, your school, your job, wherever it is you have influence, there is a mission for you. And you, you might not be able to just quote scripture references, scripture references like myself or, or some others, you may not know the Bible backwards and forwards, but you have a story that's uniquely yours. You have a testimony of what the Lord has done for you. You have a testimony of how he has changed and transformed your life. And that's a story worth telling. That's a story worth hearing. And there's power in that story. And my prayer for you is you would have the confidence, you would have the boldness, you would have the courage to share that story of what God has done for you. Because there are those who need to hear it. And your story can tip the scale towards a decision 
for faith in Christ by someone in your life. Are you hearing me today? So he basically just told him, go live as a witness in your hometown. That's where your assignment is. He wanted to stick close to Jesus. I just want to be with you, Lord. But Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. God has another way that he wants you to serve. And he wants you to be faithful to that. So, sometimes God just wants you to follow Jesus in the normal, everyday aspects of your life. I guess the question would be, is that okay with you? Does it have to be something great, something amazing, something that 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 you could be proud of and you know others will respect? Or is it is it is it okay just to be faithful in the small things? And I should say seemingly small things, because there is no small thing if what you're doing is in obedience to God. So he just wants to, sometimes he just wants us to follow him in the normal. That we just represent him wherever, represent him well wherever we are, even in the ordinary routines of life. I remember an interview, and I don't remember it verbatim, but an interview with Michael Jordan at one time, and, you know, he was the picture of consistency. If there was a clutch free throws to be hit, he hit them. If there was a, uh, a clutch shot that needed to be made, he typically made it. People don't even remember the misses, right? But they just asked him one time about greatness and all, and basically the gist of what he said was that Perfecting the little things. They say, how did you get this way? How did you get to the point to where you're almost automatic? How did you get to this point to where you're able to come through? And he says, hey, these things, this shot that I took, I take it, a, you know, a thousand times. I take it a thousand times a day. I, I, I make that move and I, I perfect it so that in the moment, when the moment comes, the moment makes the shot seem great in that moment, but the shot is the product. My ability to do it is a product of me being faithful in these small things, the footwork, the form, the disciplines, all these things. He committed himself to the little things, and it formed a foundation in him that it didn't matter what the situation demanded. He was prepared to perform. So that when, and people called it great, and it was great, right? You do a thing consistently over and over and over again, 
certain moments make what would seem to be a regular thing great because of what's at stake in the moment is heightened importance, heightened significance. So I would say to you, let's not be, have our heads so in the clouds looking for greatness that we don't dwell in the little things, that we don't remain faithful and allow God to establish the foundation that will lead to greatness down the road in us right now. I can't say for sure that that man went on to do great things, but it wouldn't surprise me, and I suspect that he did. But the first thing he did was be faithful in what Jesus told him to do. Go home. Live your transformed life. Be an example. Be a testimony of the transformational power of God. All you got to do is be. Really, all you got to do is exist now because they saw what you was and now they see what you are. You're not what you used to be anymore. And that in and of itself makes people wonder, how? How'd you go from that to this? And there's an open opportunity to witness. So sometimes just be you is enough. All right, so how, so he wanted him to live as a witness for him and just in the normal everyday aspect of life which begs the question how do we live as witnesses and representing Christ as his followers in our everyday aspects of life well first I'm, I'm not going to be reinventing the wheel y'all so if you're expecting something super profound uh, sorry to disappoint but first, God wants us to be faithful, obedient followers of Jesus wherever, wherever we are and in whatever we do. He wants us to be faithful and obedient followers of Jesus wherever we are and whatever we do. He told this man that he had delivered to go home to your friends. So whenever Jesus sends us, I'm sorry, wherever Jesus sends us and whatever he commands us to do, we are to be faithful to him in it. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Then he goes on to say, moreover, it is required of stewards that you be found faithful. Faithful. What the word of God says is your instruction for living. Are we faithful in that? Not making excuses, not justifying behavior we know not to be godly, but when we 
do engage in it, we're convicted, we repent, and we get back on the path to being faithful in the things of God. Because we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient. That's what's, what he's called us to. We want to be like Abraham. Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2 say, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So Abraham had to be faithful. He was Abram at that time, but it's because of his faithfulness, God changed his name to Abraham. Making it so that he would be the father of many nations. But notice, be faithful. Abram was faithful. And God called him to do what he called him to do. Why? I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, but so that you will be a blessing. See, God blesses you. God touches you. God heals you. God transforms you. He blesses you in that way, but the objective is so that you're able to be a blessing. It's not just for the purpose of blessing us. It's blessing us so that we might be a blessing to others. So commit yourself to being faithful to the things of God so that you might be a blessing uh, to others. So, So we're supposed to glorify God even in the normal everyday course of our lives. Don't you know you're supposed to be glorifying God even when you're getting ready in the morning? Even on the drive to work or to school, you know you're supposed to be glorifying God then. When you're cleaning house or folding clothes or doing whatever it is that you're doing, uh, uh, raising your kids, trying to help them with the new way they do math and stuff these days. God help us. Can't tell you how many times Christy and I are like, well, why the have you do it this way? That's not how we learned it. So we have to learn the new way in order to be a help <laughs> to our kids. But, but uh, I digress. You know, but glorify God even when you're at the meal table. Here's the one, when you're socializing. Whether you're socializing in person or through social media. Glorify God. The second thing we can learn from this man's story and from what Jesus told him is we are to testify to others about the work of God in our lives. How else will they know what God has done for you? Unless you let it be known. 
obviously we're not going around bragging like, hey, we're special. No, if we're doing anything, we're bragging on God. There are people walking in bondage to something you used to walk in bondage to, and you being set free by Jesus is something that those still in bondage need to hear. I found a way out. Let me tell you about it. In verse 19 of Mark 5, Jesus told that man, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. I know in my heart that God has done a tremendous work in all of our lives. I don't know everybody here sitting in Uh, sitting in the chairs in the sanctuary this morning, but God has done a major work in all of our lives. We wouldn't be who we are today apart from him. We wouldn't be where we are today if not for him. He's done an incredible work in all of our lives. And as we live relationally with other people, we can share our stories with them. And these stories are intertwined. We tell them our story, how our story and the story of Jesus intersect and intertwine. Basically, as Psalm 107 verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You've been redeemed? Say it. It's, you know, the whole notion of how private our faith is supposed to be. Now, I'm not one out there that, 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 that wants us to be setting things ablaze in the name of Jesus as far as uh, being all confrontational and disruptive and all that. But we need to be silent about what the Lord has done for us either. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble. Who besides me has been redeemed from trouble by the Lord? (laughs) As a matter of fact, I've been redeemed from troubles. All right? Quite a few of troubles the Lord has redeemed me from. Psalm 40, verse 9 and 10 says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. What you've done, Lord, I've made it known. I've not kept it to myself. I have declared the works of the Lord, the goodness of God I proclaimed. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Third, we ought to let the fruit of our transformed lives be a blessing to others. Why did Jesus tell him, you can't go with me. I want you to go back where you've come, where you've come from, where you grew up, where you were born, where the people knew 
you in your previous state. There's purpose in Jesus wanting him to go back there. Jesus wanted other people who knew of the man to see how God has shown mercy to him and changed his life. He wanted them to know that. And he wanted that man to tell them who made it happen. His family, if, if I'm sure he may have had a, a, some level of family, friends, neighbors, everyone knew his previous story of being in demon possession, tormented, bondage, out of control, living like an animal. Everybody knew that version of him, but now they would see the new chapter. They would see the new creation in Christ. Which they will see the very evidence of the power of God at work in his life. Undeniable, he's not the same guy. So God wants us to be faithful and obedient, to follow in Jesus. He wants us to testify to others about the work of God in our lives. And he wants us to let the fruit of our transformed lives be a blessing to others. See, this word testimony, you, are, you can give your testimony. At the same time you're giving it, the objective is that you are a testimony. That's the distinction between those two things. Proclaim it, but let your transformed life be a testimony of the power of God and his ability to transform you. I hope you're hearing that today. You know, we don't do stuff just to be religious. We, we obey God out of love. We obey him to be faithful, right? Him who first loved us. We love him back. But there is a, there is a uh, we're a new creation now. What good is it to those who are walking in darkness if the new creation, right, is hidden under a bushel? There's no light that's shining, right? And we can say how much faith we have. We can proclaim scriptures and, 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 and show how much Bible knowledge that we have. But the more effective testimony is a transformed life, right? I don't only tell you about Christ. I'm imaging Christ. I bear his image. I bear his mark on my life. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So let's be faithful to the things of God. Let's be faithful, obedient followers of Jesus. Let's tell people of the good works that he's done in our lives. And let's live in ways that image him and represent him well so that 
people can see, people who knew us in our former states don't need us to tell them that we're different. They see it. They see it. And they marvel at it. And and it opens up their hearts for you to witness to them in a way that's going to yield the fruit of salvation. Are you hearing me? I was thinking about what might be the best uh, scripture to, uh, to highlight that third point. And what I settled on was Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, and I'll just read them. We're talking about the fruit of a transformed life, being a blessing to others. Not only telling your testimony, but being a testimony of the transformational power of God. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all this, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then he wraps it up in a neat little bow at the end. Just in case your issue isn't on this list. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything in word or deed. Do it in his name. And I've alluded to this, I don't know how long ago, but I've done it on more than one occasion. That doesn't mean you can do or say whatever you want to say and just tag tag in Jesus' name at the end. That's not how that works. If you're doing it in his name, then Whatever you're doing is imaging him. It is within the character. It is, it, it, it is within the character and will of his name. It represents him. It's like those, those bracelets. What would Jesus do? It can't be contrary to what Jesus would say or do and be in his name. So what it's saying is do everything in his name. That means Hey, we need to be fully yielded to him and make sure to the best of our ability, obviously with help from the Holy Spirit, that we're endeavoring, when, if it comes out of our mouth, we're intending for it to be God-honoring. We want our thought lives. We want our hearts. We want our lifestyles. We want our conduct to represent 
Jesus, to be a reflection of Jesus. Do it all in his name, wherever you are, whatever you do, in whatever you, uh, the, the environment you're engaging in, endeavor to glorify him in it. And that's, I have to admit, I know that's, that's going to be hard because you're going to be in environments and mixed company a lot of times. And people are going to be rude, mean, nasty. They're going to be self-centered. They're going to, uh, and they're not going to be apologetic. They're not going to be compassionate all the time and so forth. And, and if you walk around with the attitude of, I have a right to be treated in such a way. I have a right, this or that and the other. Then we'll go around fighting for our rights. And in the, and, and in the process of fighting for our rights, we're not representing Jesus well. So I would say we need to focus on dying to self and, and uh, being committed to walking in the things of God and God-honoring ways, and God will give us the grace to handle these situations. It's, he's not asking us to do anything he didn't experience himself. How many of you know the, 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 the religious order, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they made life very hard on Jesus. before they finally were able to get him railroaded into prison and get executed, they tried many times. And he, in the spirit, foiled every attempt they tried to, every attempt they made to try and trip him up to the point that they just stopped trying. God will give you the grace. He'll give you the wisdom on how to handle situation by situation by situation. You just commit to doing everything in his name. Regardless of the situation, and then you'll see. So, you don't need necessarily to travel elsewhere in order to bloom Bloom where you are. Bloom where you live. There'll come a time when God will want you to bloom somewhere else. <laughs> but, but you can't be somewhere else and where you're at at the same time. So somewhere else is sometime in the future. Where are you now? God wants you to bloom where you are now. This man wanted to go with Jesus, and he would have bloomed with Jesus, but Jesus wanted him to bloom in his hometown. Because him blooming there was going to bring a lot of people to faith in Christ through his story. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Your story can help people come to faith in Christ. So value your story. Develop your story. Master your story. That's your sermon. Feel fortunate. You ain't got to do this every Sunday. 
You don't have to come up with different ones. You got one. Right? And God wants you to take that one and present it. And he's going to bless it. And he's going to bless other people through it. I want to conclude with a a precious passage out of Psalm 40. And I couldn't help but think about the the demon-possessed man as I was reading this verse this morning. And and I pray that it's a blessing to, to you this morning. Starting at verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet up on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's what it's about. Right? And so I'm sure God has pulled you up out of the pit of despair before. And he's given you a new song, a new praise. Well, let that emanate from your lips. Let that story be proclaimed from you. to those within your sphere of influence. And I'm telling you, as you do that, along with remaining faithful, if you remain faithful to following Jesus, if you will tell of the works that God has done, and you will be a living testimony by living in that transformed life, that transformation that has been produced in you by the power of God, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I'm not putting that pressure on any one of y'all to, that, to have your story bring many, but can you imagine if everybody in here did that? How many lives would be impacted? How many people would be touched to the point that they would come to faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't that the point of this whole thing? Oh, maybe it isn't. But isn't that the point of this whole thing? Yes, it is. We all have the capacity to make a difference. Where God has us, we all have the ability to bloom and let the fruit of our bloom feed others that they might come to faith and relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you all to stand. So that's the challenge for you today. Testimony and fruitfulness. 
You have a testimony that should emanate from your lips. But you're also a testimony. in the way that God has transformed your life. To just living and walking with him is a testimony that shows you're no longer who and what you used to be. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the elders to come at this time. Elders and wives, please. And today, I'm going to ask I want to remind you that this this man when he was sitting there in his right mind he just wanted to be close to Jesus and to stay close to him go wherever he went. I love that about him. But he was marked for not to go where Jesus went in his ministry, not to walk alongside Jesus in his mission, but God marked him for a different mission. God has marked you for a different mission. And I want to ask you to come. If you want that, if you want that mission that God has called you to, for you to bloom, if you want to bloom wherever you are, you may not have all the answers yet, but you're hungry for more of God and You want it to be known that you are committed to following the Lord, to proclaiming his goodness, and to being a living testimony of how he's transformed your life. If you identify with that, I want you to come and let us pray with you and encourage you. If you want to follow him in that way, We want to support you, we want to encourage you, and we want to bless you in the Lord. If you're no longer content to just be a a chair sitter on Sundays, be content that you know some scripture, but you want to be used by God in a real and substantial way, Let that be known. Let the elders lay hands on you and just bless you. Commission you in the things of God.